Hello, welcome back to the second installment of the OGV Community Catch-Up, a new series of podcasts on OGV Energy. For many people not involved in oil and gas, the energy industry can often seem a bit intimidating. So for this series, we're shining a light on some of the companies in our OGV community to find out exactly what they do for the general listener. I'm today's host, Andrew Tindall, and we're very lucky to be joined here today by Trevor Block, who is CEO and founder of VROC. How are you doing, Trevor? Uh, very good, thank you. Yeah, me too. Thanks. Uh, so tell me a little bit about what does your company do? Um, so VROC, uh, we're an artificial intelligence company um, and we specialize in processing industrial data. So from facilities such as oil and gas, power stations, mining, desalination, refineries. So basically any heavy industrial industry, um, we take the data and we use artificial intelligence to process it. Um, and using AI, we can do things like um, predict equipment failures before they happen. Uh, we can look for um, inefficient operation and provide optimization opportunities. Um, and we can also assist with um, root cause analysis. So if something does go wrong in the plant, obviously these plants are extremely complicated. You know, what was the actual cause? How do I fix it and prevent this happening again? So we can use artificial intelligence to try and assist um, operators of the plant to find out what happened and prevent it from happening again in future. So like in a really stripped down sense, it's about using technology to sort of predict problems before they happen, happen make technology more efficient and that will save companies some money. Yeah, yeah, I think there's, there's a couple of benefits. So money is one, obviously. Um, um, health and safety is another benefit that they get. Um, and also there's the, um, environmental benefits by not, you know, having so much product spoilage and, and, and emissions from these facilities. So um, where about is a lot of your business based? Um, so we're based all over the world, really. I mean, um, traditionally, we were more into um, oil and gas. So North Sea. So I used to be a regular traveler to Aberdeen on a before the the COVID pandemic, I was there just about every second week, um, but but all around. So um, North Sea, Southeast Asia. Um, obviously, we're based in Australia, so we do do a lot of work in Australia as well. Okay, so uh, I assume a lot of your business will concern sort of renewables and that kind of thing. If you're working in AI, yeah, yeah. So we're moving into a lot of um, a lot of uh, offshore wind. So obviously, offshore wind again, it's it's a high cost of failure. If one of your wind turbines out at sea fail. It's expensive to get a big boat and a crane out there to fix it. So being able to predict these failures and to plan those activities um, is definitely a big cost saving for companies. So yeah, offshore wind and, and even solar panels are, um, are you know, a new industry for us that we're looking at quite seriously. And I guess sort of going on with that, and we'll touch on it a little bit later, but uh, is sort of automation and that kind of thing something you're involved in as well with AI? Yeah, yeah, we do a lot of automation um, and um, particularly, I mean, oil and gas and, and heavy industrial is pretty well automated already because they need to do that for safety and, and efficiency. But, you know, we're doing a lot of stuff with even, you know, local councils in the smart cities sort of area where they're trying to automate some of their processes to become more efficient and, and provide more rapid responses to their um, to their residents. So how do how do companies respond to that? Do you think it's a bit of a challenge for companies to accept that technology? Um, it is because a lot of the industries we deal in are quite um, traditional, um, quite risk averse. So once you've been doing something for you know, 40 years, you try and tend to stick to it. But um, I think uh, one of the things the pandem pandemic has shown us is that you know, companies can move quickly when they have to, when there's no alternative. And I think it has really accelerated the, um, the adoption of this sort of technology over the last few months. So with a lot of the AI that you're developing and working on, is that more about, is it more about getting the best out of existing sort of assets and technology or is is it more important to sort of to build new things and plan for the future? Um, I think for, um, I mean, we, as I said, we do a lot in oil and gas. So speaking from oil and gas and, and, and power, uh, and I guess mining, you know, there's a, there's a really 
high initial cost to buy the assets and to build the assets. So, you know, those operators want to try and get the most out of them. They want to keep running them, try and squeeze the most value out of those assets while they've still got them. So for those assets, it's about just running it as long as they can, you know, reducing downtime and producing as much as they can from those assets. But um, yeah, you know, more and more we're seeing new companies that are that are that are sort of looking into things like um, renewables and solar power and, and wind farms, use AI to try and optimize the placement and, and positioning of, of these new facilities to try and optimize them as well. So traditionally it would have been more about getting the most out of out of existing assets, but more and more we've seen the technology used to plan new assets and try and identify the best locations and mix of technologies for them to use um, to get the most out of whatever they're building. Can you tell me a little bit specifically about some of the new technologies that are being implemented? Yeah, I mean, even, I mean, in Australia, to be honest, we're, we're probably doing a lot with, um, uh, you know, things like lithium and, and hydrogen production and, and, and storage and transport. So using AI to try and look at some of this, these new technologies, especially in the pilot phase, is, is I guess, um, accelerating the pace at which they can develop this technology. So previously, you'd have to do lots of pilots manually and, and work out what was going on, but using some of the new AI and automation, you know, making changes and understanding exactly how, what the interactions are between different parts of your facility is much easier and much clearer. So it's really accelerating the pace at which these technologies can develop. Well, that seems like it's a big thing, sort of uh, improving the efficiency and making things just work a bit more smoothly. And uh, yeah. you mentioned there hydrogen. Is that something that you're quite involved in? I guess the production is sort of a challenge that the governments and sort of people involved in it are facing right now. Yeah, I mean, I mean, as I said, because I'm based in Australia, for for us, you know, we've got so much um, open space, so much sun, um, that it only makes sense to to do hydrogen and solar. You know, that's a, that's the, the perfect blend of of renewable technologies, I guess. So, um, again, it's a it's a new industry, so it's not quite as well established. People are still finding their way to, as to how to deploy this sort of technology and, and what the benefits are, what the what the most appropriate use cases are. But as you mentioned, you know, production, storage, transport is all very difficult with that sort of material. But those are the sort of things that people are trying to work out at the moment. And that's what we're trying to help them to, to, to get the best out of, you know, these sort of pilot programs that they're developing. Okay. So uh, obviously oil and gas and, and sort of new clean energy is, is something that you're really focused on as a company. Are there other, any other industries that you're involved in? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we work across all sorts of industries. I mean, we do, as I said, smart cities. So we're doing like monitoring bins and, um, you know, you know, garbage collection and, you know, little pump stations and, and little bits and pieces all over the show, which is which is sort of the, the general smart cities, um, I guess, offering. But we also do, I mean, all through, as I said, you know, mining, you know, pharmaceuticals, recycling, you know, just basically anything that provides data we can we, we can process. So people are asking us to look at Bitcoin at the moment. So maybe that's another industry we might look at in the future, <laughs> predict the price of Bitcoin, but who knows, you know, um, yeah. and that's it. That's the beauty about this technology. It, it doesn't really care what it's looking at as long as there's data and it can try and find some kind of correla- uh, correlation there. That's, that's kind of the idea. Well, yeah, that's what I was just going to get onto that about how transferable the sort of the technology is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as I said, yeah, Bitcoin, I don't know, stock market maybe, but yeah, foreign currency. I don't know. I mean, obviously there, there are companies that specialize in that sort of stuff, but, but the fact is they use exactly the same tools and exactly the same technology that everyone else uses. So it's, it's kind of democratized those sort of skill sets across a number of different industries, which is great. Yeah, I'm sure. Definitely. Definitely. Um, Bitcoin's a big thing right now. Yeah. So, uh, so just before we move on, I was, uh, I was reading on your website earlier. I was looking at a, a case study you did. So, uh, it was the oil and gas case study, and it was two dozen times faster to identify problems. Can you tell me a little bit about a little bit about that? 
Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, so I was saying before, the, especially in, in offshore oil and gas, there, these are extremely complicated facilities. And so, you know, trying to actually understand why things happen on those facilities, you know, why is a certain thing happening? Why am I getting too much moisture or why am I getting too much gas or too much oil or, you know, what, why am I getting too much sand? Um, you know, these sort of questions are, are really, really difficult to answer because there's so much, so many different interactions happening throughout the process. Um, and so generally what happens is, you know, engineering teams will spend a lot of time studying each little section of the plant to try and work out what's going on. And that's very time consuming when you're doing it manually. So the idea with using AI is that AI is obviously a learning sort of um, system where, where you push data into it and it, it tries to learn and mimic the behavior of, of the underlying system that it's watching. And so by using AI, we can then very quickly build a picture of what's going on and then identify these really, really um, complex relationships between different parts of their facility and give that information to the engineers who can then use that to make better decisions because there might be some interactions that they don't even realize are happening on their plant because it's so complicated. But once you present that information to them, they can very quickly and rapidly make a decision and a more accurate decision than they would have previously. Um, I guess as a human, you you sort of try and simplify the problem because it's just too complicated to deal with these problems, you know, holistically. So you've got to simplify it into, into something that's sort of, you know, bite-sized chunks that people can actually solve. Whereas AI, you don't need to do that. You can just throw all the data at it and it will try and work out the most appropriate solution looking at all the data rather than just looking at a simplified view, which is what a human would normally do. And I guess that saves an enormous amount of man hours and sort of, um, sort of cost as well yeah well that's right well you can see that one was was you know two thousand times faster or whatever it was and that's that's from the client's experience with ai versus the team obviously that the you still need that engineering team to to interpret the ai results and to and to make the changes but just this is sort of more of a decision support platform which just fast tracks that you know mundane grunt work that they would have had to do to get to where they, they ended up with so it's not about replacing the workers it's just about sort of streamlining things and giving them the best tools to solve the problem Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You still need those engineers and subject matter experts there to actually, you know, implement the solution and to interpret the results. But the AI is just a, another tool in their toolkit to help them solve these problems quickly. Okay, perfect. So moving on a little bit, uh, obviously, the last sort of year has been pretty dominated by the pandemic and coronavirus and all that stuff. So how much has that affected what you do as a company? Um, it, again, for offshore oil and gas, it has had a big impact because um, when you look at the, the lockdowns and the travel restrictions that, that countries have been experiencing, a lot of these offshore facilities are now operating on half or even a third of their normal staff um, offshore. So when you're trying to run a, a complex facility and you've only got half or a third of the number of people that you usually have offshore, um, that's going to throw up some significant challenges. Um, and so for us, what we've been able to do is, um, obviously, if you've only got a third of the number of people offshore, you can only do a third of the work roughly. So you've got to really prioritize and find out what are the most important things I need to do to keep this facility running and to keep it safe. Um, and so using the sort of technology that we, we develop and we, we provide, it allows them to prioritize much better what are the critical things that we need to do to keep this facility running and to keep it safe. Um, and we focus our people on those items because obviously they don't have enough time to do everything that we used to do, but we still need to keep this thing running um, and we need to keep uh, safety, you know, we need to keep it safe. So focusing on those critical items um, is something that AI allows you to do. You know, you can still do the other stuff when you have time, but making sure that this thing is working is, is the, um, you know, is the first priority. And so that's what we allow people to do. So whereas before their focus was more on, how do we optimize this? How do we reduce costs? How do we, how do we improve our production and improve our product quality? Now it's like, how do we do 
the most with the small amount of people that we actually have offshore to service this this huge facility. Yeah. So you mentioned um you mentioned some of the more traditional companies who they they aren't quite as ready to sort of embrace this technology. Do you think the pandemics perhaps forced those companies to embrace digitalization in a way that they weren't doing before? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it's, it's you know, it, it used to be like, as I said, a cost-saving technology, but now it's like a major part of their continued operations. You know, they, they're going to find it difficult to compete um, without the sort of technology because the, the bar, I guess, has been raised. And so now everyone's got to meet it. I mean, the other thing that was also, I'm just speaking about oil and gas now, but the other thing that was also a major factor was obviously the oil price you dropped considerably. You know, it was down yeah. to $20 a barrel at some point from a, from over 100. I think it's back to 60 or 70 now. But um, obviously, when you're when you're working with no margins, you've got to try and reduce costs however you can. So this is, you know, the, the I guess the, um, the the impetus to try and implement this sort of technology to try and reduce your your costs as much as possible was was pretty significant. Well, yeah, I suppose the unpredictability of of the oil and gas industry and that kind of thing it probably makes your technology more important than it's ever been before. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's in their interest to try and reduce the cost of production as much as possible to remain competitive even in those like really low oil price environments. So. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but even with this sort of being a little bit kind of almost counterproductive, do you think maybe some companies have been a kind of got sort of cold feet when it comes to trying out new technologies and spending money in the pandemic environment? Um, we haven't seen that. I, we actually thought that might have been the case, but um, I don't think any of our, um, yeah, I don't think any of our contracts were suspended because the customer decided that the you know low, low oil price meant that they didn't want to spend any money. I mean, there are other factors like organizational change and, and, and significant you know movement of assets between different owners. But um, yeah, we haven't seen that as, as an issue. We've seen most people during that time try to embrace technology to try and reduce their cost of production or, or, their, or um, improve the efficiency of their operations during that time. So you'd think that would be something that would happen, but in practicality, we, we actually didn't see that, which was interesting. So, so how do you see things going forward? Do you think you're over the worst of it now? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, we're, again, the industry's, the whole energy industry's changed a lot in the past 12 months. I mean, you can see, you know, the community shift from traditional fossil fuels to renewables has just been so fast. And so um, I guess the push has been so strong. So yeah, we definitely have seen significant change in our business. Um, you know, a lot of our um, oil and gas and power customers are, are you know, a lot of those assets, as I said, are moving between different owners. So they, they're selling assets and they, you know, you can look at BP, you know, selling a lot of the oil and gas assets and moving into renewables. So there's been a huge shift in the industry about who's running these assets now. You know, you used to have huge tier one oil and gas companies running them. And now a lot of the smaller players are now buying up all these assets and, and running them themselves. So the, the market is, is considerably different. Um, and for us, um, I guess for us, it's a good thing because obviously everyone wants to try and get the most out of the assets that they've just bought. But it's also great because there's a whole lot of new industries that are that are flourishing at the moment with all the all the money that's being spent in renewables. And, and this technology is equally um, applicable to those sort of new industries as well. Yeah, it makes sense. It's good to hear that there's sort of opportunity that can come out of uh, can come out of the situation. So just uh, yeah. just just to end off on that, uh, I talked to Simon from JS Subsea last week, and we were talking about uh, sort of remote working and the challenges that that brings. How have you found that? Um, we found it actually quite good. We've, um, I mean, as I said, I used to be in Aberdeen every once every two weeks or something, so it's been a bit different working from from one location for the past eighteen months. But um, for our staff, it's been great. I think. Um, Internally in our company, the communication between staff is a lot better now because there's a lot more 
know, formal meetings and collaborations that staff are undergoing. Whereas before, unless you would walk past someone's desk, you wouldn't really speak to them. But now, you know, you jump on a call and, and see them in a group meeting, you know, every, every day. So it's been really good. Um, a lot of our staff are now working from home rather than working from the office. Um, obviously, we're in Australia, so there's no lockdowns. We're pretty much free to do whatever we want to as long as we stay within our state or within the country. But, um, but even so, a lot of our staff are still, you know, some of our staff are working from home, some of our staff are working in the office. It's just been, um, you know, for, I guess, company morale has been great because people have a lot more freedom and flexibility um, and the communication throughout our business has been just improved significantly. So for us, it's been great. Um, yeah, I'm not, I know it's a bit different from where you are at the moment, but, um, yeah. but over here, it's, we've seen it as a, as a definite positive. Yeah, we're all working from home. So do you think it's uh, something that's here to stay then after sorry, after COVID as well? Yeah, um, we're as I said, we, we don't really have any lockdowns in where I am in Western Australia at the moment. Um, and we're still, yeah, we're still, people are still working from home. Um, we've, we have found that some things obviously um, uh, are done better in groups in the office. So for some things we'll, we'll meet in the office and, and go through, but for other things, we've had no problem with the um, with um, Teams and other video conferencing um, for our, you know, day-to-day work. So I think it's, for us, it's definitely here to stay. And we've actually turned one of our, we used to have a number of offices out the back, which we've now turned into a gym for staff. So now there's a gym on site that staff can use just because we don't need the space because people are working from home now. So so it's been, um, it's been all positives for us. It's been great. And yeah, um, now we don't have the space so people can't come back to the office. They have to work from home. That's, that's, <laughs> uh, no, that's really interesting, actually, just to sort of see the, um, almost the differences in, in the way that it's seen sort of across different countries. So yeah, yeah. It's really interesting. Um, so just moving on, uh, about the environment. So what would you say your company is doing to be more environmentally sustainable going forwards? Um, I mean, internally as a company, um, the fact that we're not traveling as much, I think has been quite good. I mean, we used to be on a plane just about, you know, a couple of times a week going all over the place from us. I mean, being in the most remote capital city in the world, you know, everywhere is quite far from here. So um, we were doing a lot of flying. And I think now that it's more acceptable to not have to meet people in person and to meet them on, on video conferencing. That's um, a significantly more environmentally friendly option, I think, than, than what we were doing previously. I mean, obviously the usual stuff, you know, solar power on our buildings and, and, and reducing our energy costs by people working um, remotely without them having to transit into the office has been, it's been good. Um, but uh, really, I think the most significant savings we really make as a company are um, for our customers, you know, allowing them to have less downtime, have less shutdowns, have less flaring events and, and have less environmental consequences on their operations. I think that far outweighs the amount of savings that we're making in the office, you know, because, um, you know, some of our tier one customers on, on, on one facility, they may, they may save $5 million in environmental fines by using our technology. So that's $5 million less of, you know, flaring events that are happening that, that they're having to, to pay for. So, you know, those sort of savings are, are much more significant than what we do here. I suppose, um, it, you know, so no, that's okay. Continue. Um, yeah. So I say, you know, flaring, um, you know, ensuring that the water that they, that they put back into the ocean is, is up to an acceptable quality. All these sort of things are, are a significant thing that, that we're able to improve for these guys. And I suppose you can also prevent accidents from happening by, uh, by predicting, you know, using AI to predict sort of uh, issues that are going to come up. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And so, you can predict them before they happen, which means you've got time to plan and, and have a considered approach to making the fix rather than something breaking unexpectedly and everyone, everyone scrambling to fix it. Um, you know, you've got time to consider and actually plan these events, um, you know, 
before they happen. So, you know, everyone knows exactly what they're doing. And, um, you know, obviously you can plan shutdowns of your facility to shut them down safely and, and, and reduce your, um, you know, environmental consequences as well. So there's, there's quite a few things that, that, that um, this sort of technology can assist with in that space. Okay. So, uh, so looking forward, I'm a journalism student. I'm set to graduate next year. What would you say to sort of new graduates and students who are looking to get into the energy industry? Um, that's a very good question. Um, I think, I mean, as everyone knows, you know, the energy industry is going through one of the fastest shifts in its history. I think, you know, the past, as I said, the past 12 months or 18 months has been a significant shift from where they were previously. And obviously the, the oil and gas and fossil fuel to renewable change has just accelerated so quickly. It's been, I think everyone's been pretty shocked about, you know, the wide scale changes that are happening. So um, getting into the energy industry as a graduate, I think, you know, obviously if you're a graduate, you, you you can't be too picky with your first job in the industry. You're going to have to take what you can yeah. get. But I definitely think keeping your eye on the ball, watching the trends, making sure you position yourself to, to be in one of the new new industries that are, that are, that are taking off at the moment is going to be uh, very beneficial for you because that's the future, really. I mean, obviously, there's always going to be a time. There's always going to be a need for some oil and gas. But really, if you want your career to flourish, I would say keep your, keep your eye on the ball, make sure you, you're aware of the trends and the technologies that are coming out and try and steer your career so you're at, at least ahead of the curve and you, and you know where you're going rather than just being carried along in one yeah. of the legacy industries that are probably not going to be as attractive in a couple of years' time. Would you say so, it's all about sort of having transferable skills? Um, yes, transferable skills are great, but I think um, in the industry... In, in the energy industry where I've been involved in, it's all about um, being involved in the in the particular type of industry, type of energy industry. So if you're in oil and gas or in solar or in wind, you know, people like you to have experience in those particular areas. So although you know in energy you'll have a, a, a wide variety of skills, I think making sure that you plan your career, making sure that you try and gather those you know experience in those specific industries that are that are coming up in the future. I, is definitely going to be a bonus for you and that's where you're going to really i think flourish as opposed to some other industries where you might find it hard to get out of <laughs> sounds a bit doom and gloom but i think it actually yeah. will be pretty good <laughs> yeah, to be yeah. a graduate now so it's an exciting time there's a lot of new technology coming through that's for sure yeah. um so so with oil and gas i know a lot of people they still see it as a bit of a, a bit of an old-fashioned sort of industry do you think enough is being done to sort of to change that image and change that perception um, I think that they've got a very difficult job to do, um, partly because, I mean, it is an old industry, but it is also a very high risk industry. So really, it is very difficult to change a lot of the stuff they do because they, they've been developed to avoid catastrophes. You know, and you've seen what happens in this oil and gas catastrophe. It's obviously not very good. So I think, um, yeah, there is a lot of new technology coming out that is, that is obviously making these industries more efficient and reducing their environmental footprint. I mean, you can see, I think in the UK, there's quite a lot of, there's quite a big push for electrifying a lot of these offshore platforms um, to try and make them a bit more environmentally friendly. So yeah, I think there is some way to go. And obviously people are going to need oil and gas for a long time. It's, you know, it's nice to have renewables, but oil and gas is going to have a place for a while. So, you know, ensuring that they're as environmentally friendly as possible. And as you're saying, you know, reducing, reducing any, I guess, unpleasant accidents is, is going to be critical to ensuring that they, you know, remain in good stead with the community, I guess, and allow them to, to continue to operate for, a, you know, at least the near future. Yeah, so with that sort of emphasis from the governments on energy transition, how important do you think the students and graduates will be in achieving those targets sort of in the long term? 
Um, so the, these are UK targets, are they? Well, UK targets, but I think a lot of governments are all looking towards sort of moving away from fossil fuels into uh, into more renewables. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, as I, that's what I was saying, it's, it's a great time to be a graduate. I think it's exciting because all these new industries need these sort of skills. And you, 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 you're not going to have as many of these, you know, I guess, engineers or, or, or people who've got 40 years experience because these industries weren't around, you know, five or 10 years ago. So, you know, being a graduate, it's sort of going to level the playing field and, and allow you to get in at, at, a, at a much more, you know, much more quicker than you would have in, in some of the established industries where you would have to wait and gain your 20 years experience before you can actually be trusted. I think it'll be much better for your career and, and you'll get a much more rapid progression into some of these new industries. Yeah, I think it'll be fantastic. I think you guys will have a great time. Yeah, perfect. So just to finish off, when you're looking to bring on board new people to your company, what do you sort of look for? Um, so I guess for us in AI engineering, um, we really look for, for um, I guess we look for individuals that can problem solve. That's always a key thing that we, need, we look for. Being able to, I guess, take a really complicated problem and break it down and solve it piece by piece to end up with a solution. That's the key skill that we need, um, I guess, I mean, new graduates or any any employees to have. Um, and it, surprisingly, it is quite rare, but it is something that you can learn. So I think that's the key skill because when you're dealing with really complicated problems, you need a, you know, you need a way for you personally to try and break it down and solve them piecemeal because they're just too big to, to solve completely. So for us, you know, having a having a person that fits a company culture and can problem solve, you know, in an engineering context is the thing that we look for most in our, in our graduates. No, for sure. Problem solving is, is always a good skill to have. So uh, yeah. thanks very much for talking to me, Trevor. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, do you have anything else you want to add or have we covered everything? I, I think we've covered everything. It's, um, it's been quite comprehensive. <laughs> Thank you for your questions. <laughs> no problem. Hopefully I did all right. Uh, so where can people find your company online and on social media? Um, I can go to vroc.ai, V-R-O-C.ai. Um, and just have a look through there. Um, we're on, I guess we're on LinkedIn. We're probably on Facebook and Twitter as well. I'm not too sure, but definitely <laughs> LinkedIn and, and the website. <laughs> Feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions. I'm happy to, happy to talk to you. Fantastic. So uh, yeah, be sure to have a look at VROC on their website. Uh, they got some really interesting articles, case studies I was reading through earlier and it's all very, very interesting as well as also company information. So I'm sure you'll find some value in checking them out. Uh, we'll be back next week to interview another company from our OGB community. I think it'll be Stephen Brett from Quanta. So make sure you don't miss that one. Uh, until then, I'm Andrew Tindall. Have a good week and we'll see you next time. Bye.